0: Good. No? All right. Brother Josh, it's your turn. All right. One, two, do, do, do. Okay. That's loud enough. Uh, Probably too loud. Okay. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Numbers 21. Numbers 21. All right, Numbers 21. It's a familiar story. Um, it's about the serpent, the bra- brazen serpent that Moses lifts up. Uh, and I want to look at uh, kind of why, I, I guess, that the, the lesson is, is called Look and Live. Uh, Numbers 20, we'll just read Numbers 21, 1 through 9. And when King Arad, I think, Ared. The Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard, the, heard tell the, that Israel came by the ways of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver these people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voices of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Horim. Ormah. New glasses, I guess. Verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us out out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of, the, of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee, make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it up upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a certain serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Look and live. Uh, we see Israel... My eyes are not seeing my stuff. I'm going to start saying the words backwards here shortly. We see Israel's in the wilderness. They, they've crossed the Red Sea. Uh, in fact, they've already, Moses has already done one time hitting the rock and water coming out of the rock. Uh, but yet, we've see, we're going to focus on verse 4 to 9 about what, what triggered Uh, the wrath of God, really. In Deuteronomy 8.15, it says, Who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and draught, and there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. So God had actually, uh, these serpents weren't new to Israel. I mean, they, they were all around them. It says that they're scorpions, serpents, and yet God protected them, kept those serpents away. Uh, by whatever means, whether it's because there's millions of people walking, and so that made them all scare away. But God kept his protection about them. But after verse 4, he pulls that protection back and lets all those fiery serpents into the camp. And why, what happened was discouragement led to murmuring, led to rebellion. And those two things, murmuring and rebellion, God cannot let go. So we're going to look at uh, some things here in this story here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for uh, this evening to be in your house. Lord, I pray that you uh, open our eyes to what your word has for us. Lord, I pray that you give these, uh, these lessons that you've uh, given us uh, in your word to be able to um, be, be what we should be for you, Lord, and be able to be used by you. Uh, Lord, not to uh, hinder your work, Lord. We thank you again for all that you do. In your name I ask. Amen. Verse 4 says, And they journeyed from Mount Horde by the way of the Red Sea. So the, the fresh in their mind is, hey, we, we just crossed this on dry ground. We, we crossed this time back. But we crossed this, and they're walking right beside this entire Red Sea that they, at some point, either their grandfathers or their dads or even they crossed on dry ground. And and it almost seems that it's been a, a tough journey so far. But at the same time, they've kind of had it easy. I mean, oh no, we're not. We're going What do we do? Hey, now we part the Red Sea and we walk through on dry ground. God, God led the steps, and. One of the things is discouragement. Uh, it comes when you don't think rough times are ahead of you. Uh, it, it's easy to think that everything's great, and when everything's going well, you don't really th- you don't see somebody that is discouraged. Uh, discouragement is one of the devil's biggest tools that he uses, because it it leads to so many different things, and it's almost like the the tip of the iceberg, and it, it can easily stop somebody's testimony. It can easily stop somebody from having a revival fire start in them. It, it smolders that. In fact, Spurgeon described it this way. With heights of joy in serving my master, I am happy, happily familiar, but into the depths of despair, such an inward sinking as I cannot describe I have likewise sunk, yet do I know that my Redeemer lives, that the battle is sure, that the victory is safe. Another quote, despair is the conclusion of fools. We see that we have to understand that difficult times should be expected. 2 Timothy 3.2 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We should know ahead of time that because we're saved, we're going to go through problems. And by knowing that, you can already set your mind, set it up to be not as easily moved to be discouraged. Uh, And the children of Israel kind of, you would think that through everything and they just got water out of a rock that, oh, God's going to provide everything. So, you know, even though this, this is really rough and rough terrain and rocky and, I can't imagine how you would get carts and stuff through some of these areas that they were going through, but they didn't need to get discouraged about it because they were told that there's a promised land. Just like uh, in the New Testament when Jesus says, go ahead, disciples, go on the boat, I'll meet you on the other side. It was already told to them that they were going to make it to the other side. Jesus already said, you're going to be there, I'll meet you there. But yet when the storm came, they feared for their lives. Same thing with this. They, Israel was already told, hey, you're going to get to the promised land. But while they're doing this, they're, they're having grumbles. And because they start seeing the circumstances around them and saying, woe is me, uh, the poochy lip disease sets in. And they, they start thinking about themselves. And, and really, discouragement is, comes from the root of being prideful. It comes from thinking that I should have something different because it's me. I shouldn't have to go through this. But God says don't, don't be surprised that you're going to go through trials and tribulations. A, a smooth sea never makes a good sailor. If a sailor all he is ever on is a good, nice, crystal clear, when he hits rough water, forget him. He's, he's not any use. God uses trials and fires to strengthen us, to help us grow and grow closer to him. So they, they focused on their issues instead of the father. In this, this passage, uh, we, we have a perfect example of how discouragement begins. I mean, imagine, imagine that million of people if you easily get a headache from a lot of noise, you'd probably get a lot of headaches from that millions of people. All the cattle, all the animals. Probably didn't smell the greatest. But all the kids, so screaming and yelling and running around and everything, and, and you're stuck with all these people. I mean, it's, it's the perfect setup saying, hey, if, if somebody's going to be starting to complain and have discouragement, it's here. The food. You, you, you don't get what you want. You had this in Egypt, but now you're only getting bread and manna. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where they started to focus, like I said, on the circumstances instead of their creator. Instead of the father that said, I was going to take care of you. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due seasons we shall reap if we faint not. See, it's not just that if we focus on the bad that we get discouraged the bible specifically says, you can focus on the good too much and have the same issue he w- let us not and let us not be weary in well doing meaning while we're doing good it can get tiring you can look at your circumstances of you know we we've knocked on thousands of doors and nobody's come knocking on the doors is is a good thing It's what we're commanded to do. But you can get weary in it. You can can start saying, you do all this stuff and look what happens. Nothing. What's the point of doing it? And then you start going down that discouraging path. We got to keep our focus and our eyes on the right person. And it's not about us. It's about him. If we keep looking at the circumstances, it'll push you further and further into discouragement. And it's a very quick, I say slippery slope, but discouragement happens very quickly. And not only does it happen to you quickly, but it spreads like wildfire. It's very easy to go, hey, did you see this? Look at what we're dealing with. And it's very quick to start getting this person discouraged with you and that person discouraged. And you can always tell somebody that's discouraged. Just like Pastor talked about uh, when we were talking about fasting, the uh, Bible says you, you don't make it look like you're eyes are sunk and everything, and you're, oh man, he's definitely fasting. I mean, look at him. The same idea with having being discouraged. Those people, you can pick them out. They look like, I mean, they might as well be in the corner with a dunce cap. I mean, they're, they're, they're in that mode you know, on the cartoons, they always drew them with like, they were blue and, and they walked around like that. Well, it, it was easy to point them out, but we've got to not Focus on our circumstances and instead focus on what matters and who matters. So it, it started from, man, look at all this. Why do I always have to deal with these kids running around? I don't even have kids. I don't even want kids. But I got a six million other kids of all these other tribes running around, and I got to deal with them. It starts with that. And you, you think, well, okay, that's just a little steam letting off, a little bit of steam. But then it turned into rebellion. And we turn to verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Now it's not, hey, your kid keeps going into my wagon and throwing everything around. Now it's, I'm going to blame God and I'm blaming Moses for what's going on. And unfortunately, when you're in discouragement and you start saying things, you usually don't say things that you really want to say. Uh, But it does say, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And sadly, what you say, once you said it, you can't take it back. God didn't see their, um, I'm sure before this, there's a lot of whining and complaining. But it never says anything about God sending the serpents because they're complaining about the kids and stuff, it was only when they started to attack God and attack the man of God is when he said, all right, this you've just crossed from letting off steam to rebellion. And the Bible says that rebellion is the same, God sees it just like witchcraft. Rebellion is a public sin. It's a sin that you do in public that everybody knows that you're rebelling. God had to deal with it publicly as well. The, so first, he, the nation speaks against God. It, it's funny, they, they, they start out saying that you've brought us up out of Egypt to die, where there's no bread, no water, and yet they just, God just brought water out of a rock, And God let them out of, led them out of Egypt. God just fed them. God just got them across the Red Sea. He does all these miracles and yet it's like they have blinders and they forget everything that just happened to them and they're going to start attacking God. And we we know the saying about, you know, God God got them out of Egypt, but then he had to get Egypt out of them. Well, that's essentially what God was doing. That's God was proving them. God was sanding off the rough edges. And unfortunately, some of the rough edges are a lot harder and you have to sand a lot harder and take a lot more down. In fact, in Psalms 78, it says, and they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You, you just... And, and it's hard for us to understand how you could go from parting of the Red Sea, water coming out of a rock, manna, uh, taking on Canaanites. Taking, I, I mean, they just, the verse right before, they just asked God, hey, if you allow us to take these guys out, we'll utterly destroy them. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to that. And he lets them win a battle that they would not have won without it. And yet they turn right around and look at themselves. So, first they attack God, and then they attack God's man. As humans, we, you know, we, we can easily attack God and say, Why did you do this? Why did you do this? But as a human, you need somebody tangible to blame a blame on. You, you need a scapegoat. And unfortunately, human nature, God isn't enough. Of a scapegoat, and you always have to take it on some physical person. Uh, th- think of Cain. Cain was mad at God because he didn't accept his sacrifice. What did he do? He killed Abel. The Jews heard a message from Stephen, were convicted, and were mad about it, not because of Stephen, but because of God's word, and they took it out on Stephen. Same thing happens here. Israel is tired of their situation, and they take it out on Moses. They, they've, they've had it with, you know, the leader always gets the brunt of it. And, and it's the same way with at a church. You hear a message that you do not like. You don't, you don't change it because it's from the Word of God, and you don't question the Word of God, but you'll go after the pastor or you'll go after the teacher, and you'll, you'll start issues or you'll start arguing with them. Because you need somebody to argue with. Because it's human nature, but God had to deal with it. With God, you can't use excuses. I mean, once we hit verse 6, so verse 5, they spake against God and Moses, complained to him. Verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. It was over. It was done. God had enough. And, and we can easily, you know, a lot of people say, well, God's love. How could he take his own chosen people and kill them and, and send serpents to kill them? Why would he do that? But a lot of people don't realize that, yes, God is a God of love, but first of all, God's a holy God. And he has to take care of the sin problem. And that's what it ultimately becomes. It's, it's a sin problem. You look at verse 7, therefore the people immediately the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Not we're sorry. I shouldn't have said that. we, We realize right away, this is God doing this and what we did was sin. Psalm 78, 21 also says, therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel. Just like when And I've said it before, too. As parents, when your kids get tired and they they get a little worse and, you know, not as listening very well, and oh, they're just tired, or uh, he's just going through a phase. Those are excuses. To God, excuses don't matter. It's, It's a sin, and God takes care of the sin. So God chose to use snakes. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. I hate snakes. I could not imagine the idea of having snakes coming through your camp biting people. I, I just, no thanks. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure I'm not on the complaining side and make sure I'm on the, on the side that doesn't have to worry about getting bit. But God chose snakes, and we see that the children of Israel, once they get the consequence, because there's always going to be a consequence with your actions, like I said, they, they realize that they sinned and come straight and say, hey, you've got, you've got to call, you've got to talk to God. You've got to go to him on our behalf. And you notice verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. You don't, you don't see verse 7 at the end, Moses prays for the people and immediately God's there to forgive them. And that's what, What's amazing about God is that he's first to say, listen, you crossed the line. I'm gonna, we're we're going to take care of this sin problem. But at the same time, once you repent, he's right there ready, just like the, um, the father with the prodigal son. He, he was there waiting for his son to come back. God's ready for you to come back as soon as you repent. But you have to realize that you need to repent. What's interesting is we don't see Moses after the people say you know they've they've lashed out at Moses and at God. God sends the fiery serpents and then they realize oh sorry oh no hey we've sinned can you can you talk to God and get rid of this we it, it this is we've sinned there's nothing we can else that we can say about it and Moses doesn't go well you know it's kind of yeah you I told you so I mean if if anybody could have told them that, sorry, tough, you're going to have to deal with your consequences. It was Moses. Moses had to deal with complaining and grumbling and rebellion so much throughout the entire time of his leading. And yet it never talks about Moses doing any of that. Moses shaking his finger in somebody's face, bringing something up. He's always ready to be the servant leader that he was Made to be. And God tells him, okay, all you got to do is make this serpent it out of brass, put it on a pole and lift it up. And anybody that looks on it will live. Well, okay. I don't know about you, but I don't really know how to make a serpent out of brass. I don't know if Moses really knew exactly how to make it, but I could take my time if I wanted to. But Moses doesn't. Again, Moses Realizes their lives depend on this and does it quickly with haste, which is a lot like soul winning. And and we can see, you know, we always hear a lot of messages about this passage paralleling soul winning, but it really does. With getting the gospel out, we have to do it with haste. We can't just slowly just, you know, when I get to it, I'll get to it. No, their lives depend (laughs) on it. Moses knew that the serpent didn't have any power, and he didn't have any power to save their lives, but yet he still did what he was told. Just like I don't have any power knocking on a door and telling somebody the gospel, it's not me. But my job is to tell them. Just like Moses' job was to make the serpent and lift it up and tell everybody that if you look at this, it'll save your life. What's interesting is you can imagine, okay, a serpent. They didn't say how big, but, I mean, let's just say it's the size of a speaker and it's up on a pole. you got millions of people. I don't think everybody can actually see that. But it took faith from them to say, okay, which way is it pointed? Meaning I'm going to look towards it because I'm going to have faith that it's going to save me. And the Bible says that by their faith, they were healed because they, they believe that God would heal them from looking at it. We've got to be able to understand that our, our job as Christians is to lift up Christ, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, and to, to point people to Christ and what he did on the cross. Now their responses. Uh, and I can imagine. I mean, we, we knock on doors and people. Hell, I know I'm okay. I, I don't need it, or I'll do it later. Or I would imagine Moses would going around. Hey, if you just look at this, you'll get you you'll live. You'll be healed. I can imagine there's people in there. No, I got this ointment that my wife made. I'm gonna be all right. I can imagine the excuses and the response that Moses would have heard. But yet we still have to give them and tell them how they can look and live. Moses couldn't control the response, but he had to deliver the message just like we do. God's looking for people to deliver his message just like he was in Moses. And And it starts with those that he's already chosen, that he's already saved, that he's already brought into the family. And it doesn't matter whether it's a a discouraging world, a rebellious world, a, uh, a complaining world. Our job is to not worry about that and worry about what God wants us to do. And not to focus on the fact that times can be rough. And even in times where you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it can look rough. But we need to make sure we don't get into the pity party and get into the discouraging because we can easily like I said you can easily quench any kind of fire that's getting started in your heart to work for the Lord whether you see the fruit or not our job is to lift him up and to show people if you look you live just like Moses did and and that's even though God decided that he was going to use serpents and that he was going to... He he had to take care of the sin problem. He's a holy God. He can't let it continue on. But yet he was right there ready for them to repent. He was right there ready for them to come back to him. And these are his own people, too. I mean, this is a great lesson to be talking about the unsaved, but it's also for those that are saved. These are his children. They weren't just, they weren't the Canaanites that were being bit. They weren't the Hittites or the Amorites. They were his children of Israel. So even when we get despaired and, and, and down in the doldrums, we can realize that we're looking at ourselves and our circumstances instead of looking up. So that's what we got. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for, again, for allowing us to be able to have a building to meet in, to be able to uh, gather around your word. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, giving us your word that you allowed us to be able to uh, have it in our own uh, language, uh, something that we can read and understand. Lord, I pray that we not neglect it and that we take advantage uh, that, that we have it. Lord, but that we read it and and apply it to our lives, that we be able to uh, see those that have gone before us and make, uh, like we did with the churches, make the strengths our strengths and make the weaknesses ones that we don't have. Lord, I pray that you uh, be with every family here tonight. I pray that you give us safety as we go home and keep us safe this week. We love you and I thank you all for what you do. In your name I ask, amen.